You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you guys, man. I'm excited about what God is doing at this church. I hope you are as well. That was a great worship set, man, to get us right where we need to be when we look at the book of First Peter. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, get your app out, whatever. We're going to go to First Peter in just a minute as you guys are are digging in there. Uh, just a couple of things this week. They're actually going to start moving dirt and changing things on the east side of the campus. And so uh, we're really excited about that. Please be in prayer. Thank you for those of you guys who continue to give towards that end. We're going to make a difference. God is doing some incredible things as we uh, continue to seek to make disciples. We're going to open up some seats and God is going to do some great things in our church as a result. And So man, I hope you're excited. I know I am. Um, a couple of other things. Base camp starts today. If you've never been to base camp or heard about base camp, it's the class where we really talk about our vision and our strategy and, and uh, who we are, what makes us tick. And uh, I really encourage you guys to go register in the cafe today uh, to be a part of that. It's a three-week class. And so um, and then finally, uh, we've got two administrative assistant positions that uh, we are looking to fill. And so if you are interested or know someone, uh, we're still accepting those and would love to have uh, your attention at that as well, if God would call you to do that. I know some people kind of wait for you know, a sign or for God to nudge them. And I just want to consider you nudged this morning uh, that I continue to bring it up. And so um, uh, we're, we're, we're praying for that. So you know, as we dive into a new series and as we start school and get back into the swing of things, I know everybody's kind of uh, uh, doing that deal now. I, I thought this would be a great series for us to do. It's a great way for us to learn the, the, the truth of God's word by actually going through an entire book. And so uh, if you're not used to that, if you're new to FC, we do this uh, frequently. And what we're doing is starting in chapter one, and we're going to go through every chapter in the book of First Peter, and, and uh, we're going to learn a ton through this. And so I hope you'll take this seriously. I'm praying that God changes lives. I know that he will as a result of this. And uh, if you don't have an ESV version Bible, I encourage you to go to the cafe. We've got some uh, brand new Bibles in there, some really awesome deals that you could check out. But this is, this is kind of one of those times to Grab, you know, grab your Bible, bring it to church. Uh, we've also got some journals in there that I encourage you to grab and, and use those to write your, your prayer, what you know, you're learning from God's word. Uh, taking notes in that, I think by the end of these nine weeks and you've got this book, all the things God is gonna do and uh, the, the prayers that you write down, you're gonna see God moving in your life like never before. And so when it comes to worship and singing, your, your faith is gonna grow as a result. And so often we're just kind of willy-nilly when it comes to our faith and we just kind of show up and, and you know, just kind of, hey, hit me with something good and I might feel good or I might not feel good about it. Or, you know, if the guy makes me laugh, if the guy makes me cry, then it was a good day. And if not, it was just kind of forgotten five minutes after the service. And so, man, we want to dive into the word of God because it is living and active. It's like a double-edged sword. It's like medicine to our souls. And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I believe he's here today. And I believe that as we open up God's word, we're going to learn some, some new and, and, and helpful things. And so I encourage you guys to do that. Um, I, one of the things I love about going through a book of the Bible is that it, it um, forces us to talk about things that, you know, we otherwise might just breeze over or not talk about. And so today is one of those instances where we're going to talk about some things that maybe you don't, you know, maybe you haven't heard before or maybe you haven't heard preached about before, but I'm praying that it will encourage and inspire you and, and uh, help us to ultimately get focused on what we need to be focused on in life because this time of year it just seems like the pace of life picks up 
It just seems like, you know, summer is kind of unstructured and, and, you know, we're traveling and we're doing things and, and uh, enjoying the weather and, and it just kind of flies by and, and, and we don't really, you know, we don't really relish those, you know, eight, nine weeks. They're just, they're just here and they're gone and the next thing we know, school's here and it's just like the pace of life picks up again. And so, you know, I just want to ask you today, what are you really focused on? Like if you were going to sit down with me and, and have a cup of coffee and I asked you, man, what is your focus today? What would you tell me? Would you, would you say, man, I'm really focused at work. We've got this huge project we've been working on, trying to make this sale. We're trying to do this deal. And man, I've just really been running and gunning with this. Some of you would say, man, I, I'm really focused on, you know, just getting my kids back on a routine. I'm focused on waking them up in the morning because, you know, they won't wake up. They're zombies, you know. And so you're trying to get back into that rhythm. And so you're focused on, okay, kids, homework. Maybe you're focused on, you know, football because your kids are playing football or soccer and so you're coaching or maybe you, because we live in East Tennessee, you're just focused on UT football and so you're like praising God that it's almost here and you're excited and you're seeing all the polls and you're not really believing the hype yet, but you're hopeful and so you're, you're kind of in between there. I don't, and, and, and so, you know, maybe you're focused on the fact that, you know, you, you're looking for a new job <laughs> and so you're like, oh, man, I got to get a new job, I got to get something going here and, and uh so we would all probably have maybe slightly different focus, but, but hopefully, you know, there would be some that would say, you know, my focus is on Christ. You know, right now, I'm focusing on what he's doing in my life, what he's calling me to do. And, and um, you know, the reality is, though, there, there are so many of us that are so busy that the moment we get busy, we get distracted. And if your schedule and your life is, is chaotic or cluttered, then it's only a matter of time before discouragement sets in. Because I've found it to be true in my life and I see it in other people's lives that if you're, if you're overly busy, it's just a matter of time before you become discouraged. And when you become discouraged, it's, it's like a disease. I mean, we can, we can infect other people with discouragement. Have you noticed this? You're in a good mood, your day's going great, and then you go and you spend some time with somebody who's discouraged and they talk about all the things they're discouraged about and then the next thing you know, you're discouraged. And you don't even know why, but you're discouraged and you're uptight and you're mad. Then you go home to your spouse and then they're in a good mood and they're like, hey, how's the day? And you're discouraged and now you infect her, you know, and it's like this cycle where we just pass back this infection, you know. It's like a bad cold that we can't get rid of in our house and it's so easily, uh, uh, you know, contracted. And I think a large majority of it is due to the fact that we're not focused on the right things. And so I think as we move through this series, we're going to see how we honestly can focus our life and focus ourselves. And, and the main idea for today and really the, the, the entire series is this. I want you to begin to grasp this, that real focus, true focus in your life comes when you lose focus on the earth and gain focus on eternity. We're talking about heaven this morning. You know, forever we're going to be with the Lord. There's not a day that hasn't gone by where Jesus hasn't been with us. He's faithful when? Well, to the end of the week. No, he's faithful to the end. And, and, and so as we begin to have an eternal perspective on life, then the pain and the suffering and the circumstances of our life become more clear and, and we're able to overcome them. But, but if you're focused on self if you're focused on, you know, earthly things, then you're going to be discouraged. You're going to lose hope. You're going to have a lack of purpose in your life. And so as, as we look at this text, we're going to see that Paul or Peter is writing to a group of people who are completely discouraged. They're discouraged. They're, they're suffering. 
And Peter is writing to them to encourage them. And so if you are hurting today, this series is going to bless you. If you are discouraged today, if you know someone who's discouraged, you need to get them here during this series. God is going to encourage them. If you know somebody that doesn't know the Lord, they need to be here next Sunday because the second part of chapter one that we're going to hit next Sunday is the gospel. And we're going to see people accept Christ next week as a result. So we got to get our people in this room next Sunday to hear this message. Whatever you're dealing with today, the, the, the passage Peter is, is, is going to show us here is, is he's writing and he says, hey, I know you guys are going through some suffering. And this is like the understatement of the year because at this time, Christians were being killed for their faith. I mean, they were being murdered for their faith. They were being, you know, killed in the Roman Colosseum. Lions are eating them. Peter himself is going to be uh, killed on a cross just a few years after he writes this. Christians are being tortured. They've been displaced. They're scattered. And so this is where we find ourselves today. And, and, and this is the group of people that Peter writes to. So keep that in mind. Think through our focus as we hit verse 1 here. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Well, let's look at the beginning here in verse 1. He says, he says his name is Peter. So Peter, the apostle Peter, identifies himself as the writer of this letter. And he is writing to the elect exiles. Now, an exile is basically a refugee. A refugee who has been forced out or who is displaced because of their faith or because of circumstances. And so in this case, it was in fact because of their faith in Jesus that many were dispersed. They were fearful of uh, persecution, and so they were all over the Roman Empire. They left. Stephen was murdered. Everybody scattered. Not only that, but there were many Jews that had been scattered from that area as well that were all over uh, Asia in that time, and and, uh, missionary journeys, people that have taken the gospel there. They had accepted Christ, and so there were churches now um, all over the provinces here. And so Peter writes to them, and in we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. So as a refugee, they don't have a country because of their faith. They don't fit in. They've been ostracized. They didn't have a a place to call home. They've been scattered. And many of you maybe feel like an exile. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in. Maybe you feel 
like, you know, you, you just don't quite fit the mold. And so you're trying to, you know, belong and, and you're trying to figure things out. Maybe you're new to East Tennessee or maybe you're new to FC. And, and so that feeling of being on the outside looking in is kind of part of, of who you are. Maybe you're a newer Christian and, and because of your faith, you're kind of, you know, looking in and, and, you know, from the naked eye, Christians look really weird. And we're just, let's just be honest. In a lot of ways, we look weird, especially in church. And, and you know, it's just, what are they doing? And why are they doing that? And why do they talk that way? And, and so it can be like, I, I'm like an outsider looking in. And, and so these people would have felt that way. They would have felt alone. They would have felt like, you know, they were worried and anxious about their future. I mean, they were fearing that you know, maybe we might lose our life, but also they're running businesses and they've got to sell their products to make money to take care of their families. And, and people aren't shopping at their store because of their faith. Oh, those, they're, they're, they're Christians. We're not going there. As a result, they're suffering financially. So you can see the anxiety. They're worried about their future. Not only that, but they're worried about, man, what kind of future do my kids have in this world? So I, I can imagine many of you can relate to that anxiety some of that fear, some of that worry about our future, our children's future, the direction of our country. And because of that fear, because of that anxiety, it's really easy for us to live a defeated life. It's easy for us to live a life with no joy. It's easy to live a life that's focused on circumstances and focused on pain, focused on problems, and not focused on eternity. We focus on earth, we focus on bills, we focus on this week. Let's be honest, we're focused on tonight. And we don't really look any further than one day, one week. A five-year plan used to be a big deal. You still hear people talk about it. But how many people in this room really have a five-year plan? I mean, the people that I talk to, they don't have a five-year plan. And even their five-year plan that they put on paper is just a dream because they haven't developed a strategy to actually accomplish it. So it's just, it's just a, a fantasy until you actually put a plan together. So very few people would even do that. So my point is we are very short-sighted. We are so short-sighted on the bill I've got to pay by Friday or the problem that my kids are having today. And we can't look beyond it. And my hope is that in the series, God opens our eyes. He focuses us. And I think we start today by understanding some, some heavy theological truths. Because when we can understand some theology and some doctrine, who we are in Christ, then we can begin to stand on that truth to live our life and, 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 and have a different perspective and a different focus. But some of us are trying to get there without knowing the depth of, of the love of God and the grace of God. And so Peter starts there. And so let's look at it again, verse one. He says I'm, that he's writing to those who are elect exiles. So that word elect is an important word. And if you're taking notes, the first point today is that God chose me to be in the family of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you can say the same thing. God chose you to be in the family of God. Now, what does it mean to be chosen by God? Well, it means that your salvation is no accident. God chose you long before you even knew who he was. He knew all about you and he chose you. He took the initiative in your salvation. Your salvation is not an accident. It's not a fluke. God chose you. So that means that you're not a nobody. You're not all alone. You know, we might feel all alone. We might feel out of place, 
but we're not out of place, especially in this room as we surround ourselves with other like-minded believers who are focused on Jesus today, worshiping Jesus. We are amongst family. God chose you. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, he again teaches more on this truth, and I'm going to read it. It'll be on the screen, or you can turn there. Verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says this to the Ephesian church. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even, listen, even as he chose us. There's that word again. So he chose us in him, in Christ. When did he do this? Well, he chose me when I said yes to Jesus, when I walked down that aisle as a kid. He chose me when I decided to give up that bad habit and I decided to start going to church. No, he did not choose you when you decided to do anything. He chose you when? Before the foundation of the world. Why did he do this? That you should be holy and blameless before him. So he chose you before the foundation of the world Why? To make you holy, to make you blameless. You say, I can't be holy. I can't be blameless. I know, I get it. But he chose us to be this. Why? How? In love. Verse five, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He predestined, he chose me before the foundation of the world. He loved me. And he did this and he made me he, his son. He adopted me into his family. I wasn't in his family. I hated his family. I rejected his family. I rejected him. But he adopted me and chose me and said, now you're one of my children. It says, according to my purpose? No. According to your purpose? No. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So this is glorious grace, that God would choose me, he would would make me part of his elect, his chosen people. He chose me to be in his family. If you're a believer, he chose you to be in the family of God. If you say yes to Jesus today, he brings you into the family of God and you realize that you are a part of that family as well. Now, we hear that word predestination, a lot of people get freaked out about it in the church and we don't need to talk about it, or you heard a sermon about it, it freaked you out. You're, maybe you heard somebody who was totally against it or did. Listen, it's in the Bible over seven different times, that specific word. So we need to do something with it. We need to have an intelligent understanding, a systematic understanding of what it means. We're not just going to blow by it. I know all the time we read, you know, the Bible, you finally sit down, I'm going to read the Bible. You know, this is going to be awesome. You get your coffee out, and you get your Bible, you get the new journal Bible, and you get your pencil out or whatever, and you're sitting down, and you start reading, and then you read the elect exiles in the dispersia of the Asia Bithynia. What the? I don't know what that. And you just keep reading, and you go into the next part, you know? And so I think it's helpful for us to slow down, right, and focus on some of these words. And the word predestination simply means that, in the Greek, it means marked off. And so when you put the word pre It means that you and I have been pre, we have been marked off beforehand. So God marks us off beforehand, before we were born. In 1 Peter here in verse 2, it uses the word foreknowledge. And so it says, according to the foreknowledge of God. So again, helping us understand this glorious truth here. Foreknowledge means that God set his love on me before I was created. 
and he is foreordaining that I would belong to him. Now, some people believe that God knows the future. He sees the future. He sees that Trent is going to accept Jesus. And so because of that decision, he decides to make me part of his elect, part of his chosen family. Well, the Bible actually says the exact opposite. So that cannot be true. Foreknowledge doesn't mean that God, you know, predicts my conversion. That's not what foreknowledge means. In the Bible, we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we are saved by grace and this is not of yourself. So grace is the unmerited favor of God. It it is not earned. If you earn it, then it ceases to be grace. So grace is unmerited, the unmerited favor of God. You don't receive God's grace if you say yes to Jesus. You receive God's grace and then you receive Jesus. And so this is glorious for us. I mean, Romans 8, 28 says the same thing. Look at it, it's on the screen. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, this isn't a promise given to everybody. All things are not gonna work for your good if you don't love God. The, the, The promise is prescriptive here. If you love God, then the promise is that he will work all things out for your good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew. Here's this foreknowledge, amen, that he is. Foreknowledge, again, that he set his love on me before I was created. He knew me before I was created. So those who he foreknew, he also predestined. He marked me off beforehand. Why did he do this? Because I was a great guy, no why did he do this? Ah, because he felt like it. You know, no. He did this. Look at it. He predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So according, back in 28, according to his purpose, his plan, he is calling and then when he calls, he justifies and when he justifies, he glorifies. And so hang with me here, okay? God does not call you and then decide later if he's going to justify you. He doesn't say, I'm gonna call this guy and then I'm gonna see what happens here, see what he does with that whole shaky business deal he's thinking about. And if he goes that way, then I'll justify him. And then I maybe, depending on what happens, maybe glorify him. And glorify him means when we uh, see Jesus face to face in eternity and we are in his glory for, the, for, for all eternity. And so, so the reality is that's not what's happening. He predestines us, he chooses us, he, then he calls us, and then he justifies us, and then he glorifies us. This is a promise that is given to those whom God has said, you are in my family. Your calling to salvation was according to God's plan. In our text today, in verse 3, it says that God caused us to be born again. You didn't cause your rebirth. You cannot cause your, pre, your, your rebirth. You just can't do that. The scripture says that no one can come to the Father unless spirit calls him. 
So God is calling us, and so this is God's grace. And and so he calls this new birth in me. Verse 4, as he talks about salvation, it says that it is kept in heaven for you. So my salvation, your salvation, this promise, this gift that he gave to us, the grace that he showed to us, is secured in heaven, not by my power. What does it say in verse 4? It's there according to God's power, God's strength, not my strength. Thankfully, if I'm depending upon my own strength to maintain my salvation, I'm going to lose it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. My faith isn't good enough to be able to keep that. Because I I don't have the power to keep it, I, I didn't have the power to get it. But this is God's grace. This is God's promise. In verse six, this is why we rejoice, he says. We're rejoicing because of all of these factors, all of these benefits of our, our calling and our salvation. And so, so we need to affirm that God causes our salvation. It's everywhere in scripture. But he does so in such a way that he upholds our ability to make a willing decision. Because we are held responsible for our choices, choices that have eternal consequences. And we're held accountable to those actions. So yes, we must respond. We must commit our life to Jesus. And yes, God calls and God saves us. And the scripture affirms both. And so if that's hard for you to grasp today and understand, welcome to the party. (laughs) Because people have been thinking about this and writing about this and trying to understand this since the foundation of the New Testament. But what we do know is that scripture affirms both and God through his grace helps us to understand this and it builds our faith, it strengthens our worship, it strengthens our praise for God. Now, a lot of people hear the word election and predestination. Again, depending on your experience, maybe you, know, you have a bad taste in your mouth on that or maybe you're a new Christian and it's like going over your head. But here is the deal. It's an important doctrine, it's an important truth that God chose us to be in his family. And if you decide to say yes to Jesus today, he adopts you into his family. You you recognize your calling when that happens. And so as we realize that, then I am encouraged that despite what I'm going through, despite the fact that it feels like God doesn't love me, despite my circumstances that feel like, man, I don't even know if God is there. I don't know if God is listening to me. What's happening to me is, is, is this a terrible thing? I mean, I'm suffering. This is discouraged. I, I, I don't know. Here's what we know. Oh, okay. There's a bigger plan. God's adopted me into his family. And because I'm his child, according to his purpose and his plan, there's more to the story than maybe my little pea brain is grasping right now. And so if I can get the focus off of myself for a second and get more of an eternal perspective, then maybe God will show me something that'll blow my mind. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He's one of my heroes, pastor in England many years ago. He said, God must have chosen me before I came into the world. He certainly would not have done so afterwards. (laughs) There's so much truth there. I mean, I, 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 I say the same thing about me. If he would have, you know, based on my life, how I lived and what I've done, no way would God choose me. It's, 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 it's completely the unmerited favor of God's grace in my life that he has saved me. So all of these benefits that we see here are, are meant to, to encourage us through our discouragement and our 
our, our hurt and our pain. And so here's another benefit of, of being a part of God's family. If you're taking notes, number two, God has secured my future. As a child of God, he has secured my future, my future salvation and my future inheritance. And he does this, look at verse three again. He does this and, and, and he shows us this by this living hope that he has given to you and I as believers. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope that is not based upon like what I think or do. The living hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. So, so, so this is what's backing up this living hope, the power of Jesus Christ. We have been given a living hope. Now, when we use the word hope, we think, you know, we use it in terms like, I hope if you're a student, I hope to make, you know, a good grade. I hope to pass the test, but there's a good chance I'm not going to, right? You know, we hope that, you know, we're going to, we're going to be able to go on this vacation, but we've got to save up this much money. So we don't know if we're going to, but we hope. The hope that he uses here is a certain hope. It's a living hope. That means it's growing and active and, and, and it's within us, changing me. We know this will happen because it's not based on what I do or say or think or, or, or anything I'm gonna become. That hope is grounded in the power of God himself. So I know it's going to be. Our hope is not in how well we live for Jesus. If that's what your hope is in today uh, for your salvation, it's no wonder you're doubting your salvation today. If my hope was in my future decisions, I'd be worried as well, but my hope is in Jesus and his power. My hope is that, yes, he's given me a living, living hope, but he's also se secured that hope in my salvation, and, and he's done so by giving me an inheritance. And this inheritance that he talks about here in verse four is given to us, and it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And this isn't an inheritance like the prodigal son we can go and say, hey, God, can you... Can I get that now, please? No, that will be given to us on the last day. That will be given to us in eternity when everything that we've done in this life is rewarded in that life. When we see Jesus face to face, when finally all sin and death are removed. And when we experience that, that inheritance is enjoyed. Now, this inheritance you know, that, that he's reserved for me, it's imperishable. That means it can't be destroyed. That means your salvation can't be destroyed. It's imperishable. It's secure. No one can take it away. When you and I invest into the stock market, we have an idea. We, you know, we hope that we're going to invest and, and we're going to make some money, but there's a good chance that it's going to lose money. So you know, that security is not really 100% there, but when it comes to our salvation, he says it's imperishable. There's no risk here. Our inheritance is reserved. And if you think you can lose something that God has chosen to give you, I'm just gonna tell you, you don't understand grace. So pray that, pray that God would help you understand grace. Titus 3, 5 says, it is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's not anything that you have done. It is completely out of God's mercy. If I were saved on the basis of my work, obviously if I stopped that work, I'd lose my salvation. If I were saved on the basis of what I did, obviously if I stopped doing it, I would lose my salvation. But you're saved on the basis of what Christ did and he did it all. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's finished. You're, you're done. 
No more work. It's in Christ that we find it. It is imperishable. He says it's indefiled. It cannot be spoiled. He says it's unfading. It will never go away. It will never lose its power. This inheritance is kept not by my power, but by God's power. It's guarded by him, as verse 5 says. This is great news. Because my future in Jesus isn't dependent on how well I live for him. It's secured in his power. Now, people argue against this truth in Scripture by saying, well, man, you're just giving people a license to go out and, and live like a you know, wild banshee. You know? Come in and get your hell insurance and then go live like a wild banshee. You know? So we can't do that. We can't tell people that. Then they're going to live like that. We can't do that. Well, come on. This is, this is not a a very intelligent like, way to process salvation, right? We, we've got to go to a scriptural understanding and basis, not, not how a worldly view would be, but, but what Jesus says, what the gospel teaches us. So if you're, if you're under the impression that you can show up on Sunday and then, and then walk out these doors and you know, be sexually immoral, live a lifestyle that is totally distant from what Jesus would call us to live and to do, then I would doubt your salvation and you should doubt it as well. Because someone who is genuinely reborn, someone who has genuinely given their life to Jesus is not thinking and living their life in that way. They're looking at their faith in Christ and they're saying, how can I serve him? How can I grow? Perf- not perfect, no. We're not looking at perfection here. And there, there aren't like a list of four or five sins that, that we can commit to, to, to prove that we're not. It's an attitude and a posture of our life. And the attitude and the posture of my life is, okay, God, you want me to go here? I'll go there. God, I don't wanna live for self. I wanna live for you. Dang it, I keep living for myself, but I wanna live for you, God. And that's the attitude. God, you want me to go here, serve here, then I go. Why do I do this? Not to earn my salvation, not to make me feel better. I do this because I owe you everything, Jesus. I owe you everything. This life is all about you and my focus is on self, my focus is on earth. And I've got to reject that and I've got to focus on eternity. And I've got to focus on you and what you're doing. And as you begin to grow in that mentality, you prove the genuineness of your faith. And so we're not giving anybody a license to do anything here. We're saying as a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality is God chose you. That's his grace. No matter what happens, I can't lose it. He keeps it, he holds it, he protects it, he reserved it. It's kept in heaven, it's undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I may lose so many other things in this life, but I can read the final words of Jesus and the words of his his book, and we win. Thirdly, God is working in my problems. So once we understand here that we are chosen by God, once we understand that, and then we begin to understand that our future is secured, then we get more practical. Now I know my future is secured. I know I'm a child of God. Now I know that there's purpose in my pain. I know that there's purpose through the suffering I'm experiencing. You see, all around the world, most cultures expect suffering. Um, Other cultures Uh, find meaning in life not in this lifetime but 
but in the future world to come. That's why there are all these other religions all around the world all have this mentality of there is a future life. And so what they do here impacts future. And so suffering is a part of the world. Meaning of life is not here, it's here. Tim Keller has written a lot about this. He, I agree with him. But in America, the, the cultural reality for, for us is so many of us believe that the meaning of life has to do with me making a free decision to choose whatever I want to be happy. So if, if the meaning of life is I get to choose what I want to do so that I can be happy, then when suffering or pain comes into our life, there's no real purpose to that. It's just an obstacle to, to do what I want to do to get what I want. And so we, we look at pain and suffering and we look at these things and we, we, can't, we, we can't figure it out. We just think it's something we've got to grin and bear and, and, and just fight through to get back to making the choices we want to make in order to, to, to get happy. But the reality is all throughout the Bible, God uses suffering. He uses discouragement and pain in our life. I always used to hear, get in the center of God's will and then everything will be great. Dude, I've been in the center of God's will and it is like hell sometimes. Seriously. But I knew I was supposed to be there and I was supposed to be doing that. Why? Well, look again. Let's take a look. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. Now for a little while. Don't, let's not run by that. It's a little while that you're going to have to suffer. It's not forever. It's just for a little while. When I say little while, during this season, while you are on this earth, this is the little while time. We, we get so focused on this short season and forget that eternity is I mean, forever. That's what we want to live for. For a little while in this life, there's going to be problems and troubles and pain. Jesus even said it. Don't be surprised by pain and suffering. It's going to happen. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome. So he says here, he says, now you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So, so we've been grieved by various trials. These people have been grieved by various trials. Why? There's purpose in pain. So that the tested genuineness of your faith would be more precious than gold. So as our faith is tested, God tests our faith through suffering and discouragement. And as it is tested, we realize that it is genuine. He realizes that it is genuine. Others realize it is genuine. And then it says, here's what, it, here's what happens as a result. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your faith will become more precious than gold. Now, isn't it interesting that, they, that he uses gold? Because gold has been like the essence of, you know, what, standard of wealth throughout generations in history. We can all relate to gold, right? And he says, this is how gold is refined. A lot of intense heat and pressure is applied to this metal. And there's other metals intermixed with this gold. But as it's heated and pressured, then all the impurities rise to the top. And then they scoop off all the impurities and what's left is pure, priceless gold. And he says, this is what is happening in your life. Get the focus off of yourself and realize that God has a plan and a purpose for that suffering. And the purpose of his plan is to bring genuineness in your faith, to give you something that is priceless, 
And that pricelessness is your faith in Jesus Christ, a strength in your walk with him. And it, and it leads to worship, praise and glory and honor to Jesus. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. See, we, we don't see him, but we believe in him. We, we experience him. And this is inexpressible joy that, that we get when we're focused on him. And so the idea is that, that God's not calling us to enjoy suffering, okay? He's not, you know, he's not saying praise God because you're suffering. Thank you, Jesus, for making today really, really suck. You know, it's not, it's not a song I'm asking you to write. But what he is saying is that we say praise God that he has given me a living hope while I suffer for a little while for a little while I don't know what you're facing I don't know what you're going through today but but focus comes when you lose focus on earth and you gain focus on eternity 2 Corinthians 4:17 says for this light momentary affliction and when you read the Bible you, you see all these comments about suffering and pain it's always for a little while a little light momentary affliction and it says is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison you suffer now but what you will receive in the future is beyond comprehension it is beyond comparison what Jesus has secured for you in heaven so stop worrying stop focusing on the here and the now and start realizing that we may not understand what he's doing. We may not fully get it now. But what we do know is that he's testing me and he's growing my faith. And by the grace of God, I'm going to worship him and follow him. And I'm, I'm going to overcome this. And he's going to reward me. And so that's my living hope. That's what I focus on. I'm going through problems, but God chose me to be a part of his family. He's, he's working in my pain and, and he secured that future. If um, you're like me, you're really, you, you're really excited when the Olympics started because, you know, there wasn't much sports on TV. There was hardly anything going on. And so the Olympics came and like, ah, we, got, we got some stuff going on and before football happens. And I love watching all the stories. I love the, I love the gymnastics to see what, those, what they do is, is crazy. And as soon as we watch it, all my girls start flipping and doing stuff. So it's fun too. The story that I heard on Thursday was the best story that I've heard. All kinds of stories of, of hope and overcoming and all these things. But Thursday night, um, the rugby championship took place. Did anybody see the rugby? Like, probably wasn't on your to-do list. But the Fiji national team was in the championship game. Now, Fiji is a small island in the Pacific Ocean. And they have never won a medal. Never won a medal. And evidently, rugby is like a huge like sport. It's like the sport of the, of the island. Who knew? Rugby. You know? So this group of ragtag normal guys, there's a, there, there was a hotel porter, a policeman, prison warden, all these other just like normal you know, jobs. And, and, and they put this team together and they go to the stinking Olympics and they face England Thursday night. 
England. I mean, when you think rugby, I think England. I don't know about you, but it's like, I don't know anybody else that plays, but they're playing England. So obviously Fiji is going to lose because it's Fiji and then that's England. This ragtag group of guys beat England. Not only beat them, but they spanked them. And they won the gold medal. It was incredible. And as soon as they won the gold medal, all of these big burly, like, you know, rugby dudes all embrace and they put their arms around each other and they form this circle and they don't sing their national anthem. They sing a hymn to Jesus. If you haven't seen this, you've got to go home and watch it today. And it's going to be hard to find, I'm just going to warn you, because mainstream media doesn't play it. (laughs) They're not going to play the song. They'll talk about the medal and then they'll put a period after that and they'll move on. But what took place is they embrace and they sing this hymn and they sing it in in their own language and they sing it in English. And the song is, we have overcome. We have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the Lord. We have overcome. I just think about what these guys had to do this year to prepare, not this, just this year, but years, the work and the effort. And they get on this stage and, 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 and as a result of overcoming and experiencing all the trials and all the pain and all the workouts and everybody's saying, yeah, right, you guys are never gonna win. Like they rally and win and then their first instinct is not in the locker room. It's not when they get home and go to church on Sunday. It's on the field cameras and the world looking and they sing we have overcome it's beautiful man they're crying it's the best story I've heard thus far and I just want to tell you it may not feel like you've reached that point of overcoming yet but you have overcome for a little while it in the marines my best friend is a marine and he says you know we have a term it's called in the suck (laughs) And there's like this point as a Marine where you are just like, they're like killing you and there's, there's physical and there's pain and there's all this stuff. And they're like, you're in the suck, but it's gonna get better. Some of you are in that, right? That's what life feels like today. But it's just for a little while. It's a momentary glimpse, right? You have overcome, not because of your work, not because you're so smart or wise. You are overcoming today by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord. So if you need someone to pray with you today, if you're like, man, I'm going through some stuff and I would just like somebody to you know, encourage me with prayer, um, I encourage you to, to go to what we call the care and prayer room. You walk out these doors, it's to your left. We've got some folks in there that would love to pray with you. If you've never accepted Christ, then I wanna encourage you to, to go in there and, 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 and they will lead you in that decision and help you and, and, and talk with you. And man, it'll be the greatest decision, be the greatest experience you've ever experienced in your life. I best James to come and sing a song that again, I hope helps us gain an eternal perspective. It's called the heaven song. And as I pray, let's continue just to give our heart and attention to the Lord and let this song just kind of speak truth over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, our focus so often stays on ourselves, and we've got to get an eternal perspective we've got to see our life through your eyes 
And that is so hard for us. But we know through your grace, we know through your wisdom and your word, each of us are overcoming. Maybe we haven't reached that point, but we are in the process of overcoming. And our hope is in you. It's a living hope that no matter what we face, no matter what we experience, God, your power and your spirit will help us overcome. So we have this hope. God, we want to we worship you and, and, and we want to focus on you because of that living hope today. Lord, we ask that you move in our hearts today and through this entire series, God. We praise you today. For it's in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.